my heart do join us on facebook live if you can because steve vines is waiting in the winds chomping at the bit and all that kind of stuff morning brew is the page and do put any comments and stuff that you'd like to be read out up there right now let's say hello steve how you doing well i'm all right from a remote location yay it works (laughs) what was it we called last week a dog's dinner (laughs) a dog's dinner yes Good, good to see you and good to hear you steve what's on the agenda today well, there's a you know there's stuff going on for a change. Um, the 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 one, of course, which is is what I believe in the news business is called a developing story. Yeah, which is the <laughs> is the mounting pressure from the anti Democrats to uh, postpone the election. And I mean, it's very interesting that this started with Junius Ho. Huh. What a surprise that was. He's the who, front, the oh, front man. <laughs> he's that's the, right. He's the that overture. The bloke <laughs> who got defeated in the November district council elections and may well be feeling that he'll be defeated again in September if the elections go ahead. So you've got him piling in. You've got Tam Yu-Chung piling in, um, saying uh, uh, many times, so you know what the real reason is, many times, oh, oh, this is purely on medical grounds, purely on medical grounds, health and safety, health and safety. But now, unfortunately, the mask is slipping. Uh, remember, it is compulsory to wear such a thing. Um, because you've got Rita, Rita Fan saying what we all suspected, but dear old Rita, she doesn't know she's not supposed to say these things. Or is she? Saying, well, you know, I tell you what, the really good thing would be if we could postpone the election, scrap LegCo altogether, bring in a provisional legislative council yeah oh, that would be the one that rita fan used to run right. in the early days of the hong kong sar so you know we now know what's going on is they are running very very scared of losing the election and can i tell you this is not a staggering insight but nobody who thinks they're going to win an election ever wants it postponed this is this what is we call true. a factual fact <laughs> <laughs> so we know on the one hand that the, the, the plan is to try and postpone the election. Although why on earth they would think that the um, uh, postponement would achieve any uh, known objective? Well, postpone I, or cancel, the... Steve. I mean, I was curious about well, the word postpone as well. Well, exactly. Uh, but now we know from Rita Fan, and thank you, Rita, you're, you're an obliging person, that really what they'd like to see is a hand-picked provisional legislature, which, of course, would exclude all opposition Totally. Now, what's really interesting about this is that if they do go ahead and entirely count that possibility, in fact, I think it it remains at least in the balance on a 50-50 basis. What we do know is there will be a mass of candidates. There will be disqualifications left, right and centre. I mean, what we've seen before ain't nothing to what we'll see this time around in September. Now, unfortunately, I think the um, the Democratic camp needs to think about this much more carefully than they have been, mm. because you see a growing tendency for martyrdom within the people who are running for elections, saying, "Oh, very defiantly, oh well, we won't, um, you know, we won't uh, ourselves in this declaration of support for the basic law." They're saying that because they feel that there's some moral high ground to be gained from doing this. Now, I understand that this newly imposed declaration is designed for a purpose. It's designed to build a trap 
for the Democrats to fall into. That doesn't mean they need to volunteer to fall into that trap. Yeah. I mean, you know, my view is when you when you see a hole in the road, you don't instantly drive into that hole. You'd maybe swerve around it. So I think a bit of reconsideration there. There's something about the law of holes idea. here as well, isn't there? The stop digging thing, some connection. There is stop digging, yeah. So, you know, I mean, the point about the basic law is it's a man-made um, uh, instrument. Yes. It has, in fact, been amended at least three times by the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress. So it is amenable to amendment. Yeah. And, you know, why not sign a declaration supporting it? And why not also campaign for changes? Mm. I think that's quite possible. That, mm -hmm. That's a totally feasible and honourable position to take. Now, it is true that, that that would be very difficult. But, you know, being an opposition figure in Hong Kong got very, very difficult this month exactly. in every respect. To so, day. you know, um, if, the, if the problem is that things are difficult, well, you know, that ship has sailed. Difficulty is what's going on at the moment. All right, then. So I, I'm, I'm really worried about this, I have to say, because if indeed um, the elections are postponed, and then goodness knows for how long, yeah. we will be in a position where, and I suppose you could say, well, this was always going to be the case, but, you know, I'm not fatalist. I don't accept always ever. Mm. But you could say that if if people cannot exercise their right to, to vote. This is the most peaceful form of protest you could possibly exercise. Some people, of course, will exercise their vote to support the status quo, and they're perfectly entitled to do that. But if you choose to express your opposition to the government through voting, and, you, and it is now being declared that you can't even do that, just, just tell me, which forms of protest, which forms of opposition remain legitimate in the SAR. Steve, we've I, also, I, we've also got the COVID, the COVID stuff to take into account here. Now, look, what if it ends up getting postponed? And it really is because of forces of nature. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, so, it's so obvious what you're thinking. But what if it happens for a different well, reason? Well, first of all, first of all, the level, it, it is very alarming yeah. that there are more infections in Hong Kong. I don't think any sensible person wouldn't be alarmed by that. But I would point out that in the middle of this crisis, other jurisdictions mm -hmm. have managed to have elections. And these are jurisdictions with much, much higher levels of infection than in Hong Kong. I give you a recent example. Poland had a general election uh, a couple of weeks ago. Poland has many more uh, of, uh, infections than Hong Kong does. Mm -hmm. And they managed to contrive a way of holding the ballot with social distancing, with cleansing at polling stations, etc., etc., yeah, and that, that happened. There, there have been elections in other places, as it so happens, mainly in Europe, but also in other places in Africa during this pandemic. If other jurisdictions can do it, right. Hong Kong, which is not notably badly organised, can do it as well. Right. That excuse is thinner than the paper it isn't printed on. Are we going to hear that one, in your opinion? Which one? Uh, the excuse you've just been oh. talking about. The reason you've well, just been talking about. Well, the excuse is, it, it is, is that it's because of the pandemic that they can't hold the election. I mean, that, that's just nonsense. It really is nonsense. Steve, I want to say hi to Kat here, who joins us on Facebook okay. Live. 
Uh, and Kat says, doctors already said there are no cases of COVID infections resulting from queuing. I think Kat means perhaps that it's not, you know, not, not the case. It's not going to happen. Well, that, that, that's a very interesting point. I hadn't seen that. But, but you know, the, 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 if, if it was a threat to health, yeah. if holding an election was a threat to health, you would at least have to point to one jurisdiction where an election had been held during the COVID crisis. Uh, which si- led- Singapore, according to Nigel. I'm getting all these as we go. Well, that's quite a... Yeah. Hey, Singapore, that's quite a good example. Singapore has a far higher level of infections than we do here. Um, so, you know, the, the examples roll in. I, that's a very good one, incidentally. Always a comparison on many, many levels between Hong Kong and Singapore. I don't know if there's anything that sort of struck, well, I think struck the, you in this area. I think area, the, yeah. the, re- the reason why the government in Singapore went ahead with the elections is because they knew they'd win it. <laughs> so um, that tells you something about the political motivation right. of the people who are trying to stop an election taking place in Hong Kong. We've got our own think tank here, Stephen. It's getting quite good. Let's say hello to Stephen, who says, instead of cancelling elections, could it be viable to run the polls over two days? Honestly, there are many, <laughs> many well options here. Two days is a perfectly viable one. Um, there's been a suggestion of people voting in groups, you know, by neighbourhood. You say just neighbourhood X goes in at this particular time. There's um, scope for introducing postal ballots, which we don't have in Hong Kong. There's absolutely a myriad of ways in which if you really want to hold the election yeah. in the middle of a health academ- a ha- epidemic, you could do so. Yeah. But, I mean, this gives credit to the idea that the medical motivation is the true one. Yeah, well, I don't believe that for one second. So Kat but just no, says, Kat just says, yeah, they're using it as an excuse to postpone the elections. Um, there is one thing that raises people's eyebrows, Steve, when it comes to the logical election techniques, and that is this notion of putting in the elderly, because you know what people have said about that before. Well, you know, um, I'm not in the first flush of youth myself, so <laughs> I, I may be able to speak with, with some authority on this subject. The, the simple fact of the matter is... Elderly people are going out shopping. Elderly people are on public transport. How do I know this? Because I've seen them. Mm. So, you know, the idea that there's some special danger Mm. beats me. You you may say, oh, why not provide more chairs in case people feel tired while queuing? You know, I mean, there are practical solutions to practical problems. Mm. But um, I, I think that or maybe it's a blue herring. Steve, I just want to let your end of our line settle down a bit. And I want to read out a couple more comments. They're getting really good here. Just keep moving your head up and down so I know you're there, would you? <laughs> I mean, Kat's got another one. Kat's on the ball here. The government is having a hard time recruiting polling officers among civil servants. Now, we've got to bring in the fear factor here or the concern factor, right? Uh, what else have we got? Bright spark. I, I think, inc- oh, incidentally, yeah. what, what she's talking about is returning officers. Yes. These are the people who who um, are theoretically independent. Of course, they're not. They're civil servants. They, they, they're not unaffiliated. Who will be making the decisions as to who to disqualify. Yep, yep. And the PS on that one was many civil servants, I guess, Cap means the returning officers, refused to help in the election, worrying about safety and the hostile attitude from the public against government officials. I think about a minute on this, Steve, and then I'll have to go to the news. But what do you reckon? 
Well, no, I mean, we, we saw the case in the district council elections of the official, the civil servant who disqualified or was asked to disqualify Joshua Wong. Yeah. And she withdrew and they had to bring in someone else. So, yes, I think a lot of civil servants don't want to get involved in this mess. I understand the pressures that they're under and the fact that many of them will say, you know what, I'll do my other job. I don't need to add this particular nightmare yeah. onto, onto what I'm doing at the moment. It's more trouble than it's worth for me, and indeed my friends and family, they are thinking. Steve, will you sit tight for a second, because we're just going to go to the news, uh, and it's time for us right now. <laughs> Right, there we are. Funny few seconds, but we're back. Still in with Steve Vines, still on Facebook Live, if you would like to uh, post a comment. They're brilliant this morning. So, Steve, all yours. Well, I was just saying, I think we, we, we could move on from elections and talk about the, the biggest elephant in the room at the moment, which is, of course, the coronavirus. I mean, I, I can't help but observing that at a time when mask wearing is being made compulsory, which, incidentally, I think will make very little difference because anybody who lives in Hong Kong, and I'm not, of course, uh, talking about the grand people who run Hong Kong because they, they exist in a little bubble of their own, will know that more or less everybody is wearing masks anyway. I haven't been on the MTR or on a bus where I've seen a single person not wearing a mask. So they've made it compulsory. Well, good luck with that. I yeah, mean, it yeah, seems yeah. that that's all happening anyway. What is interesting is that while they're bringing in all these compulsory um <laughs> these compulsory orders for the wearing of masks, mm. they're still pursuing through the courts the mask ban. Can you believe this? Yeah, okay. the, people, the ban on people wearing masks during protests. I mean, it's staggering that somebody, possibly a grown-up in the administration, hasn't come to the conclusion that, do you know what, that's not a great idea when you're introducing compulsory mask-wearing orders. But, hey, dysfunctional is a far too generous word when it comes to this government. Well, it's also interesting because the strength with which we were told do wear a mask, then do not wear a mask, and once again, do wear a mask, people are, people are wear highly, um, you know... Yeah, people, people <laughs> might be confused. Thank goodness people in Hong Kong are infinitely more sensible than the people who are governing Hong Kong. I mean, remember, it was the people of Hong Kong who found a way of obtaining masks when the government was still faffing around, not managing to produce supplies. Mm. It was the people of Hong Kong that did their own social distancing before the government had sorted this out. So, you know, I'm far more confident in the good sense of the people than I am the good sense of the government. And you know what? Even now, I mean, this is what I think worries a lot of people. Even now, the government is highly re reluctant to relinquish these many exemptions that they're making for cross-border travel. Now, we don't know whether it's dangerous, we don't know whether it isn't, because at the moment, the data coming out of the mainland on the number of infections is notably sparse. The official line that we hear from the mainland is that the virus has been conquered, so that if there are new infections, you can't really report them because it contradicts the official line. So we don't know whether there are new infections. We don't know what the state of play is in Guangdong province, but we do know that even at this stage, when the coronavirus 
um, panic has gone into its third stage. Yep. And with the highest level of infections we've seen since all this began at the beginning of the year, we don't know whether these cross-border exemptions that have been lavishly made for various grand people who run businesses and are involved in various political uh, activities on the mainland, we don't know whether that's dangerous or not. Do you know, Steve, what kind of people are on this list? A friend of mine told me that she needed to buy some jewellery and the guy came down and she said to him, well, how come you're allowed to do this? He goes, oh, no worries. We're talking buying jewellery here. Well, that, that clearly is essential. I mean, gosh. I, I haven't managed to get by without buying jewelry this week. <laughs> let me go to some, let me yeah, well done. Bling. Let me go to some com let me, let me go to some <laughs> comments here. Nigel's suggesting a change of topic and you might like this one. Uh, Nigel says, by the way, regarding Landau tomorrow at Legco's final session uh, that you s touched on, Greenpeace managed to garner over 100,000 signatures uh, and Nigel says I'm not affiliated with them. That's a topic you might want to come back to, Steve. Is it is well, it off the table? Is it just on the floor waiting to be picked up? Well, I mean, I, I I'm very pleased that Nigel put it back on the table because, as he pointed out, before LegCo went to bed last week, the government did sneak through this proposal to, to allocate a budget for development of islands in pursuit of the ever-marvellous Bigger Lantau scheme. Yep. And that Greenpeace petition was gathered in a space of a very sh short space of time. Hmm. I think people in Hong Kong are finally getting the message that when it comes to finding land for, for homes, which is the task that the government should be preoccupying itself with, they have no sensible solution other than throwing billions and billions of dollars at poor old property developers. I mean, you know, I'm going to start <laughs> a property developers benevolent fund next week, yeah. and I'm sure the listener would be rushing to contribute to that. I mean, it can add to the billions that the government's putting in. We have got the special forces of listeners out with us this morning, Steve. John's, John <laughs> suggests this. Uh, John says this. He says, Dumbass MTR is decreasing social distancing by lowering the frequency of trains, cramming more people onto fewer trains. I'm glad you rem reminded us of that one, John. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, ain't that a fact, too? I mean, it is true that overall traffic is down. But, but I, I see that as an advantage and as an opportunity to be able to travel in less crowded carriages. But thank you, MTR. You've had a stellar couple of years in serving the public. So if you think about this, on the, on the, on the surface of it, you're thinking, oh, well, they, they, they don't have as much traffic, decrease it, da, 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 da. But then if you get your mathematics and logistics head on, John is bang on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely bang on. Well, join us on Facebook Live if you've got a few minutes. There's some cool comments coming in this morning. Let me just have a look and see if I've missed anything. Cat, uh, just going back, said it's really a joke. Should we wear the mask or not? Um, somebody's Martin says if Steve stood up very fast, would he tip the cup of coffee over? You got a coffee going? I do. Very <laughs> nice one. <laughs> um, and I've missed something here. Um, there is a rumour that the conservation camp want to postpone the election because of their supporters, the new Hong Kong people, uh, living in China right now. And because of COVID-19, they can't come to Hong Kong to vote for them. These are all listener comments, by the way. I'm quoting. Uh, there are, there, it's a controversy right now um, as to whether it's fair to let Hong Kong people who mostly stay and live abroad vote. Well, one of the reasons why Hong Kong has always insisted on voting in person as opposed to voting by by post which is common in other jurisdictions is that there are a lot of hong kong permanent residents living on the mainland 
living abroad. Yeah. Now, you either change the whole system and say that those people are entitled to vote by post or to maintain a level playing field. You say, well, this is the system we've had for a long time. It was introduced precisely because there are so many Hong Kong people overseas and that voting should be confined to people who are actually here. Mm. I think... Why suddenly do we hear that all these other people have a compelling need to vote? I mean, what is what is objectionable about the idea that people living in Hong Kong should be allowed to vote? People who've decided to live out of Hong Kong should not be allowed to vote unless yeah. they come back. Oh, and, and of course, they, they can't just come back from the week. They have to have a registered address here. Right. In other words, they have to be people who are actually living in Hong Kong. I'm not sure that's objectionable, but hey-ho, in the scrabble to find reasons for postponing the election, anything will do. I've got three dogs here who, who can't vote. I, you know, a good... I think I, you're I, fine, I raise, Steve. <laughs> I want to raise an objection. Why can't they vote, eh? I've just found our news here. I'm just flicking through the app. And uh, interesting one from yesterday, as I read. More severe curbs if situation doesn't improve. Now, you know what the uh, conspiracists are going to think about this. Health Secretary said on Thursday that the, gov <coughs> the government is considering extending its curbs like dine-in ban and mandatory face masks to more areas if local coronavirus outbreak doesn't improve. She said the government isn't ruling out more drastic measures. So no specific specific. Well, that would be a total lockdown. That would be That's the kind what of lockdown have been that we've seen in Britain, for example. Uh, they had in Singapore. Uh, they had in Thailand, incidentally, for a while. I mean, the trend now is quite interesting. The Hong Kong government always comes to the party after everybody else has left. The trend now, learning from these total lockdowns, is that probably they're not necessary. Probably they don't work because, you know, first of all, you have to put exemptions into so-called total lockdowns. Yes. And secondly, it causes it builds up pressure from citizens who are really frustrated by um, not being able to go out so that when they do go out, they behave <laughs> fantastically irresponsibly. I give you an example. Yeah. Rave parties, crowding beaches, you know, pick your, pick well, your example. So, well, I mean, I, it's delightful that the dear old Hong Kong government is now thinking of doing what everybody else is abandoning doing on the grounds that oh, we haven't tried it yet, so why don't we? Yeah. But, you know, again, I'd love to see a couple of grown-ups inserted into the decision-making process who'd look around and say, you know, we didn't join that party for good reason. Why on earth are we wanting to join it now? It's I, bonkers. I was about to mention Australia. I was about to say to any of our Aussie listeners, what do you reckon about how it's worked in Melbourne, etc.? Because I've got a couple of friends there. Of course, they're going up the wall. Everybody is. But uh, yeah. Stephen, who I believe is an Aussie, said, by government order, golf clubs can open restaurants, but you cannot go out and play around. Shouldn't it be, shouldn't it be the other way around? Uh, uh He's got Duh, a fantastic Steve, point Duh. there. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I still don't. I still don't understand why during these troubled times the government has shut down sporting facilities like swimming pools and and racetracks in Hong Kong. It would be a great thing, particularly for kids who remember still can't go to school yeah. to be able to take exercise. All, all the all the little parks have been closed as well, with the exercise bars on them. You know, these are. This is what you need when you've got a health epidemic on. You need an opportunity for people to keep fit. I don't understand why the government, in its sort of 
I don't know what it is. I mean, I know that they, they want to launch a war on wine because, hey. Yeah, hey People are hey, getting into know, this one. We all know what happens when anybody has a drink. Paul, Paul, Paul says, ironically, um, being on the golf course in Hong Kong is the only guaranteed way of being 300 yards away from anybody else. Nice one. <laughs> and if you're playing with Donald Trump, he cheats, apparently. So... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of, I don't get this, did I miss something going on here? You must admit. I mean, is there an effort to uh, really keep the restaurant business, I don't mean sweet, but to keep them in business, and in doing so is putting everything else out of skew, like the golf course and the well, golf course I, restaurant? I, honestly, if, 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 if um, it's being stated that allowing restaurants to open until 6 o'clock in the evening is keeping them in business... It, that's obviously being stated by somebody who doesn't know anything about the restaurant you business. You do, Steve. They're on life support. G They're us, on life support. Give us a few bits on this, Steve. You're a restaurateur in your other life. Give us a few serious things that concern or whatever, personal points. There's not enough business. It's as simple as that. Restaurants, on the whole, make their money in the evening when people go for a longer dinner and they, they, they also, I know this will shock Carrie Lamb, they also perhaps have a drink. So, you know, just opening essentially for, for lunchtime for Daipai Dong type and cafe type operations, also for breakfast, yeah. is better than nothing. Let me not knock that. It's you. better than nothing. But, you know, it does not keep people alive. The worst thing about this is, is that it keeps particularly restaurants in a hinterland between closing down altogether and laying off people, which would be a very bad thing Indeed. in an industry that has currently has double-digit unemployment. In case anybody's missed that, that's a very high level of unemployment yeah, yeah. in the catering industry. And, you know, and making the situation even worse. I, I honestly don't understand, I still don't understand the logic of allowing restaurants to open until six and not afterwards. It doesn't make sense. If you're going to be infected, you're going to be infected earlier in the day few more this topic seems to get people going and i can see why because they're scratching their heads and noses and going what did do and all that so anyway uh marty who's an aussie <coughs> says hair salon hair salons were open in melbourne throughout just remember all these uh dave who is listening to us in melbourne australia so good i mate he says we have horse racing still going danny says it carried on here season ended last week um, and Kat's back to say there was a joke that the government believes COVID virus is only active at night. That's why they ban it after 6 p.m. We've all seen that. And one more. Uh, you can buy hats with face shields or you can buy face shields and you can eat under the face shield or drink a beer. So it's getting applied now. Thank you very much for those comments. <laughs> Steve, do you want to pick up on any of those? I, I, I would just say that, that, that um, if you want to get people on board with preventative measures, you've got to instill confidence. Okay. You've got to have regulations that people say, I understand why you do that. I understand why you should wear a mask. I understand why it is necessary to limit big crowds. I understand all of that stuff. Totally, totally. But, but, but when you insert into that these bonkers regulations, you diminish confidence in the entire preventative system. This is dangerous. And it leads to people acting irresponsibly. And Hong Kong people have been acting very responsibly Brilliant. during this entire crisis. So, thank you. Uh, 
Thank you, Carrie and the Lamets. It's been a great few months. I was just about to play one of this. What about beaches, Steve? I'm seeing reports of beaches with the, you know, the cop tape, but not the cop's version, um, saying it's closed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. I mean, you've seen beaches in the UK when these people are being complete numpties and they're crowded on there, but this isn't the case here at the moment. This isn't the case here. And remember in Britain, when the sun comes out, it's a rare... And it, it, it causes causes people to behave in very peculiar ways. Indeed, you know that it 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 it, it and they're ripping off shirts and <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, I, I speak as a Brit, so I know what I speak. Speak. It's some Brits. It's a bad and Brits bad combination. Mad dogs and Englishmen, mate. I think I'm going to leave it there. Thank you to Steve Vines, as always. Lovely to hear what you have to say. And especially today, thank you to our listeners. Some wonderful comments. And I'm sure they're going to still keep coming. And uh, we'll get back to those next week. So bye-bye for now, Steve Vines. Thanks very much. Let's get back to some of this.